Welcome to part four of This Is Us. If there's two things that you take away from this series, I hope they are these two things. Number one, I hope that it helps you feel more normal that your family is so unnormal. There is no such thing as a picture-perfect family. And so I hope this series just brings some normalcy to, okay, like, I'm not the only one. So I hope this series helps you with that. The second thing is that I hope it gives you practical ways that you, as part of your family, can bring some improvement to all of it. And today we're getting into this topic of discipline. And just to make sure, again, that you all know that we're all unnormal here together, I just have to acknowledge something that might shatter some of your minds, and some of you this won't be a surprise, but when I was growing up, I needed discipline. I know, it's hard to believe, but I did. And I don't, I, I don't want to make this about me, so I'm just going to go real quickly, but when it, when it came to my high school career, I just, I want to, this might be public record somewhere anyway, I was actually suspended. Twice. The first time I deserved it. Um, if you want to hear the story of the second, that's off the record. But uh, it, it was really stupid. I, I got caught up in what my friends were doing. We were out in the town. We were in some stores. I shoplifted. It was so stupid. It was a little toy football. It was a Reese's Pieces candy thing and a summer sausage. <laughs> so stupid. But I was following some influences, and um, if my influence is listening, I love you. We, we've both changed, by the way, and I know that he sometimes listens to the messages. Um, but I got in trouble, and I'll never forget the feeling. Maybe some of you have felt this. When I knew I was caught, but it hadn't come yet, like, like I was told, like, go to the room, don't leave it. I'm like, oh, they found out, they found out. Have you ever felt that just horrible feeling inside? that you know punishment is coming. And I don't think I've ever prayed so hard in my life. I've prayed something that maybe some of you have prayed. I said, dear God, if you get me out of this, I promise I'll never do it again. But here's the thing. When it comes to discipline, discipline is something that we all need because fear alone won't cut it. So like I said, we're talking about discipline today. And just when I say the word discipline, what comes to your mind? The story I just told you, that was, that's what comes to my mind. But what comes to your mind? What word? If you had to pick one word to associate with discipline, what would it be? I, I thought through maybe some of what the common words would be. And here's a couple. Just thinking of it from the standpoint of being disciplined, you might think of fear or failure. I know I was feeling a lot of fear and I was feeling like a failure. What will my parents say? What, what will happen? Um, so fear, I think, is a common reaction to discipline. Or even as the one who is giving the discipline, you know, this will hurt me more than it hurts you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe these other two words come to mind. Anger, disappointment. A lot of negative that goes along with this whole concept of discipline. I think one other thing is that we often think of discipline in terms of parents and child. Like once you're 18, then discipline is kind of over. But what I want to do today is challenge your view of discipline. And by the time you walk out of this room or by the time you click off of this video, I hope two things happen. 
Number one, I hope that you have a better grasp of what the definition for godly discipline is. What does godly discipline look like? And to kind of get to the point, it's not just for kids. And the other thing I hope you walk out of here with is a desire for discipline, not just to dish it out to other people, which might, if it feels good, that's not godly discipline, but also to be in a relationship where you can receive it in a God-pleasing, humble way. And I really want to emphasize just at the forefront here that I know that when it comes to discipline and the discipline I can dish out to my loved ones in my home, in my house, in my family, I know that fear, if I can strike up fear, it always makes an immediate response. Yelling gets an immediate response. Um, If you can instill fear in someone, you can really change their behavior right away. But here's the thing. Fear works for a very short time. Fear wears off. Godly discipline might leverage fear as a tool for a moment. I'm not quite sure about that. If you're meeting with your growth group this week, you can talk about, you know, does fear have a place in godly discipline? And I think that'll be a good discussion. But it's not the main tool. Fear, as we all know, fear will make you kind of cautious. You'll be more careful if you're afraid of getting caught. You'll say, I'll change, I'll change, I'll be better. But fear only lasts for a moment. But here's what, where we're going to go today. While fear makes you cautious, discipline realigns your conscience. It, it realigns the way you react to the world around you. Discipline changes the way you make decisions. And the whole idea of godly discipline is to learn something from the past that will help guide your conscience better in the future. The goal is not to change someone's behavior. The goal is to change the way they make choices. And this is so hard because fear is, you just make immediate changes right away. But the whole idea of godly discipline is to change the conscience, to realign it that will set them towards a trajectory better in the long term. Now, um, one quick passage here. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, and then we'll get into our main text for today. But the reason I wanted to bring Hebrews 12 in here is to, to reinforce that discipline isn't about fear when God thinks about discipline. Discipline is more about doing something difficult in the short term that will help you in the long term. So here's a quick verse from Hebrews chapter 12. It says, Our fathers, like our earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a, lot, for a little while as they thought best, And I hope that someday when my kids are older, they will say these words to me, like, Dad, you disciplined me for a while, as you thought best. Like, if if they say that, like, I'll be a winner. But God, get this, God disciplines us for our legitimate good. Just picture this. You have a God in heaven who can see where you're at now. He can see where you were 10 days ago. He can see where you will be 10 years from now. And he knows perfectly how to realign you to get you to where you need to be. God disciplines you for your good in order that we may share in the goal of his holiness. His goal is not to conform your behavior so that you do what he wants. His goal is to share life with you. On this side of heaven, it'll be a work in progress day by day. But God's ultimate goal that he fulfilled in Jesus was to give you that holiness that he calls you to. 
Incredible, incredible. But what we get from Hebrews chapter 12, this was written to some Christians in the first century who are really going through some hardships and some persecutions. They were wondering with all the bad things in the world around them, where is God? Has he abandoned us? And so these words were written to encourage them that even though there were bad things happening, God can use persecution and hardships to discipline you, to teach you things. So here's what we learn, and I hope you take this with you today, that you never outgrow your need for discipline. It just changes as you get older. When you're younger, you need to learn basics about how not to hurt yourself. As you get older, you might need to learn more about how to understand yourself and lead yourself and love the people around you. Discipline is never something that you outgrow. You continually need people to see, to to look into your life and to recognize what's really going on. Because let's be honest, when you look at the people around you in your life, not here, like in church, that's creepy, don't look at them, but when you think about the people in your life, in your family, whatever that might look like, you probably have your list of, oh yeah, Johnny over there, he's got these three things going on and he doesn't even know about it. And you're like, You kind of know what's going on with other people. You can see where they're headed, even though they might not see it. Maybe for some of you, you've done some searching in yourself and you've told your family, hey, I think I'm wrestling with this. And then they say, yeah, you've been wrestling with that for five years now. We've all seen it. People around you, they see more than you can see. You need people to, in the biblical sense, give you godly discipline, not to belittle you, but to lift you up, to change and realign your conscience so that it's aware of what's really there and so that it's pursuing the kind of life that God wants you to pursue. We, we never outgrow our need for discipline. It's just that it changes the older you get. Now, as we go on, Jesus is going to give us some practical tips for how to practice this in a godly way. Because I know when it comes to discipline, the immediate go-to is, I'm going to make you do what I want you to do. That, that's not godly discipline. That's selfish um, controlling of people. Godly discipline is about doing something difficult in the moment that will help another person in the long term. And you, you're probably going to have questions like, well, who am I to discipline the people in my family? And we're going to address some of those things as we hear Jesus give some specific instruction about how to discipline within even your own family. Because if the people who know you best already know what's best for you, what if you as a family could practice this kind of godly discipline together? So Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is listing off all these practical ways for people to encourage and even discipline one another. And we're going to take it kind of slow because there's some really important words, but Jesus starts like this. He says, if, you're, if your brother or sister sins, and he's not meaning just biological brother or sister, but he's saying whoever's in your life, whoever is well known by you, if they sin, then there's something you should do. This, this is your cue to do something. And when he used that word sin, this is a word that is hardly used in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's, it's very rarely used, but the... the the background for that word is a, a deeply religious term. It's a term that refers to not just, hey, you stepped on my toe, 
but hey, there's something between you and God. There's something in your life, a habit, a decision, an attitude. There's something that's not lined up with the way God called you to live. And so right away, if if you are looking to discipline someone, you should immediately ask yourself, does this rise above the category of me being offended or my personal preferences? Is this something that God has pointed to? And one other thing this brings up is that when it comes to godly discipline, you can only discipline those who are disciples of Jesus. Discipline and disciple come from the same etymology. You cannot discipline someone who has rejected Jesus or or has no faith in him. That's a different category. This is referring to those who are disciples of Jesus. And Jesus says, "If, if your brother or sister sins, there's something you should do out of love for them, even though it's difficult to do. You should go and point out their fault. But that seems to contradict what we heard last week, where Jesus said, why are you pointing at the speck in their eye when you've got a plank in your own? And we gotta take these two commands together. While you yourself are doing the work of being disciplined by others. Jesus says, it's on you to do the same for them. Go and point out their fault. So here's the first thing that Jesus calls you to do. Those who are followers of him, those who are disciples, he says, part of being my disciple means that when it comes to godly discipline, you will confront. When you observe, you confront. When you see something, you say something. And this doesn't mean that you yourself have to be perfect. It just means you have to be willing to walk alongside them and say, hey, I've seen something that concerns me. I've noticed something, and maybe I don't have the full picture, but I wanted to talk to you about it because I want to make sure it doesn't interrupt the way that you walk with God. You see, sometimes you might think, well, what if they're offended? But here's the thing. People have come to me with concerns even though they were all wrong because I'm perfect. (laughs) Just kidding, I'm not perfect. I need discipline just like everyone else. There have been people who come to me and say, Matt, I think think there's something wrong. And just the fact that they were concerned enough to take that step, it was communicating a deep love and concern. And it was an appreciation. Maybe some of you have experienced this where someone came to you. They weren't trying to prove that you were wrong or you know, send the message that they were greater than you, but they simply said, I'm concerned. Are you okay? Can, I, can we talk about this a little bit more? And just that they confronted you sent a huge message. So Jesus says you should confront someone when you observe, when you see a sin. And again, who better to observe and see than the people that you do life with in your family? But Jesus says, as you confront them, you need to be super careful. And he gives a disclaimer to what he just said. He says, if they sin, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Do not post it on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter But if you observe someone doing something that is not in line with what God called them to do as a follower of Jesus, then just between the two of you, go and talk to them. And why why would he give this disclaimer? Because I think sometimes what can happen is when I observe what I think is a sin in someone else's heart or in their behavior, 
I don't have the full picture of what's really going on. And when I say, hey, I'm concerned about this, and they can say, well, yeah, thank you for your concern, but here's the real story. Like, here's what's actually going on, and it's not that at all. And so often, it can be cleared up just between the two of you before it's posted for the entire world to see. And this is the loving thing to do, to give them the benefit of the doubt and to call them to repentance if if repentance is called for and to give them that opportunity. And this is one thing I, I often use as a pastor. Sometimes people will bring a concern to me like, hey, I noticed this person is kind of doing that or this is what they said. And my immediate response is, have you, have you talked to them yet? And then I'm off the hook. <laughs> but it encourages you as a follower of Jesus or if you see something, if you notice something, you can confront, you can walk alongside them. Not because you're greater or perfect, but because you can walk alongside And then Jesus goes on. Sometimes this will work like they'll listen to you. And if they do listen to you, guess what? You've accomplished the goal of winning them over. And winning them, this kind of goes with what Pastor Ben was talking about last week. The goal here is not to prove them wrong about something. It's to restore a relationship between them and God. You've won them over. Awesome. Celebrate that. And part of this, this is the part of the process that you're not in control of unless you're the one being confronted. But the the goal here is that a person, when they are confronted with the sin, the second thing, that they would confess. They would acknowledge the wrongdoing. Again, if there was one to acknowledge. And if they acknowledge it, this paves the path for restoration and forgiveness, which Jesus will get to next. But this this act of confessing or acknowledging is, is as simple as, you know what? you're right. Uh, Thanks for calling me out. I was way too angry in that moment and I shouldn't have done that. I'm I'm glad you brought this up because I've been feeling guilty about that. And just the fact that you're bringing it up gives me a chance to acknowledge it. One of the worst things is knowing that you have a punishment coming, but it hasn't come yet. And when you confront someone who's in a sin and it's unaddressed, you're actually helping them by confronting them. You're giving them an opportunity to say, thank you for bringing this up. This is something I want to get off my chest. And so the second step in this godly discipline is for the person receiving the confrontation to simply acknowledge it, confess it. But this doesn't always happen. Some of you have been on the receiving end of this. We get defensive, we put up walls, we give excuses, we sugarcoat things. And so here's what Jesus says next. If, if they don't listen to you, take one or two others along. Again, don't make it public, but just bring a couple others. And then he cites an Old Testament practice where it says that with, um, with a few people, you can establish like basically have a record of what really happened. So he said, if they don't listen, take one or two others so that every matter may be established by the testimony of one or of two or three witnesses. And then if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the, this is interesting, tell it to the church. And when Jesus said this, there was no church down the block where you could go to and meet with the church council and talk to them. Like there was no church. The Greek word is ekklesia, which simply means those who are called out. Take this to those who have been called out. Take it to the other Christians that you're doing life with and bring them in and let them know what's happening. This fellow follower of Jesus isn't listening to 
our confrontation where there is an actual sin that we know is going on. They're not living in a way that lines them up with love for God. And so you bring it to the ecclesia, to those who have been called out, and they together try to encourage this person, hey, this is serious. This is cutting you off from God. If, if you continue on this route, it's, it's not just going to be bad for your life, but this is bad for your faith. You're not living as a disciple of Jesus. And then here comes the controversial part where Jesus continues with this. He says, if they refuse to listen even to the church, to the ecclesia, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. That doesn't seem very loving. Um, how, how do you treat pagans and tax collectors? I've never met one personally, so I don't, I'm not sure how I would treat them. But what Jesus is getting at this, there's two important things. Number one, this is an act of love. As he talks about this, again, the goal is still to win over the person. And the second thing to note is that you're simply treating them in a way that's consistent with how they're living. You can only give godly discipline to someone who is willing to be a disciple of Jesus. And if a person is living in a way where they're not being a disciple of Jesus, then treat them as they are. In today's terms, um, we wouldn't use pagan or tax collector, but maybe we would use terms like uh, you're living in a worldly way. You're just in it for the short term. You're in it for the material. You're in it for the money. And right now you're being disciplined by finances. You're being disciplined by your career. And that's what you're following. So let them live that way. Release them to do what they've been doing because you can no longer apply godly discipline to someone who is not a disciple of Jesus. They've become a disciple of someone or something else. Treat them as they've decided to live. And this will send a message. If you, you, know, if you refuse calling them to repentance, the ultimate goal, the ultimate hope is that someday they will see that what they're living in and what they've been discipled by is nothing compared to what they once had. The goal, even in this situation, treating them in this way, is to call them back, to bring them back in to those who are called out to bring them back in to the church. And as Jesus continues, he gives the good part, but also the challenging part. You confront them. Hopefully they confess, they acknowledge. Jesus says, when we do this together, godly discipline, it's, it's not just merely an encouragement or a redirecting to God, but it's actually a way of standing in someone's life as a representative of God. These, these words were so powerful. He said this, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind to someone here on earth, it's as if God himself is binding them to it. Whatever you loosen on earth, it's as if God is loosening it in heaven. The implication is simply this. When you declare to someone that their sin is forgiven, you confront them, they confess, and if you declare to them that they are forgiven, it's as if God himself is standing with that person saying, child, I forgive you. 
But the opposite is also true. That if someone is not repentant of their sin, that it's your place, that's a hard place to say, if you're not repentant of your sin, if, if you're holding on to something, then there's no forgiveness in there. Because you're not a disciple of Jesus, and it's Jesus alone who can forgive. So here's the third step of godly discipline. I know we're getting heavy, we're getting heavy, but the third step in godly discipline is to forgive. This is so hard for some of us because we might want to put an asterisk next to this one and say, you forgive them when they've demonstrated that they won't do it again. Or you'll forgive them when they've changed their life. But Jesus gives a very different definition for what it means to forgive. He says, no, you forgive them in order to change their life. You forgive them before they've earned the right to be forgiven because that's exactly what God did for you. You don't transform people's hearts by instilling fear in them and waiting for them to change. You change their hearts by forgiving them and assuring them of who they are. So if you've been wrestling with this about how to confront someone that you love and how to forgive them, I'll just tell you there's a lot of power when you can declare, not just in your own heart forgive them, but to communicate forgiveness on a regular basis. They might not have earned it yet. They might not have proven it yet. Their their life might not have changed yet, but I'll guarantee you the more grace you pour into them, the more their life will transform. And that gets into the last part of what godly discipline looks like. It's the ultimate goal of this whole process. Jesus uh, finishes off with this. Again, I tr- uh, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done in the context of declaring forgiveness to one another. It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three c- gather in my name, get this, there am I with them. Christ with you to do something only God can do. John the Baptist, when when he brought people along on this ride, he was really good at this. Whenever people would come to him, they would repent, he would forgive them, they'd be baptized, and then he would instruct them what their life would look like from that day forward. He would talk to soldiers and say, he would say, stop bullying people. He would talk to rich people and say, start sharing your wealth. He would give specific instruction, like what does it look like to let the forgiveness not just be a declaration over you, but to let it transform you. Jesus is there with you to change what only he can change. And so the fourth part of godly discipline is to not go live. I thought of this after I put this together. Don't go live on Facebook. It's not about going live. Go, go live. After you've been forgiven, go live in this forgiveness that you've been given. And a changed life will always be reflective of the grace that someone has received. When you are told you're forgiven, your love. Jesus paid a great price to, to forgive you. It will have an impact on the way that you live. So godly discipline does not stop with, okay, you're forgiven. Let's try not to do that again. But no, you're forgiven. This is going to make a difference in the way that you now go live your life. And you know what? We're not always going to get it perfect. Sometimes after you've been forgiven and you go live, you'll go back to the old way of living 
and someone who loves you will notice and they will confront you on it and you will confess and they will forgive you and then you will go live and change the way you've lived and then you'll go back. They will, it can be a cycle for a while, but I'll tell you what, Jesus, when, when Peter asked, like, how many times should we do this? Peter's like, should we do this, what, seven times? Like, give someone seven times where we forgive them? Jesus says, nope, nope. Try 70 times seven. This is an ongoing process for all of us as long as we're on this side of heaven. It's not gonna be easy. But who better in this world to observe the things going on in your life than the family that you're in? Godly discipline isn't just about kids. We never outgrow our need for discipline. It's just that it changes the older you get. So maybe two questions. Who's disciplining you? And who has God placed in your life that you can give discipline to? Um, As you think about those questions, maybe just one last one I'll put on the screen. You might ask yourself, well, who am I to discipline them? Maybe you're thinking of a literal brother or sister. Maybe you're thinking of a parent or a grandparent. And the the way that they've been living It's not just bad for the family, but it's not in line with what a follower of Jesus should do. You might say, well, who am I to discipline them? Who am I to confront them? Maybe you're even thinking, well, who am I to confront them? Because they could come back right, right right back and confront me because I have a blank in my own eye. But here's what I know. When a family decides to not just mutually submit to one another, one another, but mutually disciple one another. That's where transformation begins. And you don't have to be perfect to confront one another. In fact, um, 2 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul put it this way. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, not because this is what we want, but on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. This is us, not perfect. But we have one who was perfect, who became sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are called to live a holy and God-pleasing life. We won't get it perfect this side of heaven, but in the meantime, we have one another to give godly discipline to reconcile us to God and to bring us closer to him. So here's a closing thought. There's been many times I've given discipline to people in my household, the kids, the kids. And in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, I probably should have gathered more information before making my judgment, or you know, I probably should have been more patient. There have been some disciplines that I've regretted, but here's what I know. Number four, you will never regret discipline that leads to a better disciple of Jesus. You'll probably regret discipline that leads to your life being better or something that's around your personal preferences, but you will never regret confronting someone with the goal of making them a better disciple of Jesus. Or the way we put it as a church, we simply want to lead people to Jesus because he changes everything. So would you give that some thought this week? 
Would you challenge your own personal view of discipline? Maybe you are a parent with some young children. Would you challenge the way that you're viewing discipline? Is it for your benefit or are you trying to make a better disciple of Jesus? Some amazing things happen when you are able to make that shift. And as you think about your extended family, the people in your life, if there is someone who is a follower of Jesus who needs to have something addressed, would you at least give some thought about the first step you might take to confront in a way that doesn't judge them, but in a way that simply walks alongside them? In a way that says, Jesus, he came for people like us, and I just want you to be reconciled to him. I hope you have a chance to meet with your growth group this week because this will be a topic that you might need some help with to process, to work through. But just imagine what God can do when there's a family, when there's a group of us who are deciding not just to mutually submit to one another, but to mutually disciple in a way that makes all of us better at following him. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, some of us are not conflict type of people and we shy away at the thought of it and others love conflict a little too much. <laughs> Would you give us wisdom to understand what godly discipline really is all about? It's not about us imposing our wishes on someone else. And in the context of family, discipline isn't really about honoring the family name. Godly discipline is about honoring your name, even if it costs the family some reputation. Would you give us all wisdom to just think about the people in our life who might need to be confronted about something? And would you give us the, the, the wisdom to be able to walk alongside them, just to start a conversation, to share concern and to ask questions that might lead to an opportunity to declare your forgiveness to them? And at the same time, would you give each and every one of us the humility to acknowledge that we will never outgrow our need to be discipled and put people in our lives who are bold enough to confront us when the time calls for it. Thank you above all that we can do this not with fear, but with hope, knowing that Jesus has already become sin for us so that we can declare to one another the forgiveness that he gave. Bless each of us this week as we take some steps, either to change our definition of what discipline looks like or to put it into practice in our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' name.